0: Welcome to Callback Podcast Number Twenty. We made it to twenty, people. Can you believe it? Uh, on this podcast, uh, we had a very special guest, Steve Pink. Steve is a screenwriter, director, and producer of movies. Uh, he he did Hot Tub Time Machine recently, and also uh, uh, he was he's now working on a uh, remake to uh, About Last Night. It stars Kevin Hart, and it's uh, super hilarious. And we the reason I know this is because Steve uh, invited us down to the Sony lot. Where he was editing the film, and he was great. He, he, he actually allowed us to see like three or four scenes from the movie, which hadn 't been seen by anybody prior to that, which was amazing, so a real special treat, and we really appreciate uh, the accommodations uh, that, that he made for us uh, with that because that was a nice little surprise at the end of the podcast anyway, Steve, uh, I know from the I know of him from the theater world in Chicago, and I knew he 'd be a great guest. I always wanted to have him on the show. It took us a few months to work it out, but we finally did it, and uh, we're really happy um that we did and uh, we'll be posting more information about about last night when in, when it's ready to premiere in the meantime uh, i'd like to shout out to eric streeper as always thanks eric for keeping our website alive uh callbackpodcast.com you're always making it look great and uh if you want to reach out to us we're uh callbackpodcast at gmail.com we're also on twitter at callbackpodcast and uh, please like us on our Facebook page. We really appreciate all the likes. And uh, we need you to uh, subscribe for free on iTunes if you could. Uh, it really helps us out. Even if you go to iTunes, you download the, the the show, we would really appreciate if you subscribe. It's free. There's nothing that there's no extra catches or anything like that. It just basically helps us uh, with our numbers and we um, helps us to monetize the site and kind of keep this thing going. Anyway, with that out of the way, uh, enjoy, enjoy the amazing Steve Pink episode number 20, Callback Podcast. Let's do it. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we are here with our special guest, Steve Pink. Hello, uh, Steve. Uh, for uh, uh, Steve is a director. Uh, I I I've followed your career since Chicago. I know you, you, we we kind of met through friends, but we didn't know each other. We were like always around at Burton Place and different places where you were with um, like Greg Sporlater, like mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, much to your dismay, you followed my career. Like, well, ah, I just you know, God, I, I, was I, actually, I my actually, expectations were so much higher. I actually went out with uh, Angie. Do you remember Angie Biasi? Don't she was a member of the New Crime? Uh, group. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She worked with you guys at some point. Um, huh? And Maybe uh, it was post my time. There was a period where you in work? the early '90s where I split, and the company kept going. Were you okay? So the New New. Um, Steve's a director, but he started. He cut his chops in the. Uh, was it? At the, did you go to the Piven Workshop or? I did my senior year in high school. Yeah. Okay, and then um, so you, you were an, you were an actor in some things, but you. Uh, I was a bad Prince's
1: actor, <laughs> and then yes, then we started New Crime Productions in like '88,
0: and ran plays through the early '90s. Yeah, there were great um, uh, plays that ran in the Chicago land area with. Uh, there were, is it Comédie de how do you? Uh, how yeah, Comédie de Yeah,
1: I just and, didn't say it right, but you oh, did. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm such an asshole. Uh, no, no, you said it right. I, I didn't. It's fine. Oh, really? Yeah, no, no, you said it correctly. And, oh. Uh, and then I flubbed it. And uh, and it's just kind of like the theater of the absurd? Is that the idea behind it?
1: It was... It. I guess it has elements of theater of the absurd, although the origin came from the Teatro de Soleil, which was a French expressionist comédia company that had um, gone to... Um, Part of uh, the uh, LA Olympics in 84 was also a cultural exchange where that company went to UCLA and ran workshops. And Tim Robbins inherited the, f- the style, as we call it, um, in pretentious parlance. And then Tim... With the Actors Gang. With right? the Actors yeah. Gang in the eight, middle 80s. And then um, Cusack and John Cusack and Jeremy Piven did a show called Violence in 1985 or 6, 85 or 6. Um, The Misadventures of Spike Spangle, and then I did a play called Carnage um, with Tim Robbins in 1986 or 7. Out here? Out here in L.A. Because I was going to um, Berkeley at the time, and the play ran in the summer prior to my fall semester. So I was sleeping on couches and doing the play. Oh, wow. And um, I remember Al-Ghazam, right? Yeah, and and then the year later, we took... The style, which is really kind of an expressionistic, presentational kind of style, we always used to say it's Bugs Bunny on crack as a kind of shorthand for what the style was, and then um, or is, and then uh, so then we did Alexander after the Dog Wars, which was 1988, our first play. Tim Robbins actually wrote it,
0: and then and yeah, then I was company... doing the play that came after you at the Blind Parrot Theater. Right? Well, uh, is that where it was? No, Blind Parrot was our third, and I think oh, our shit. worst play. Oh,
1: unfortunately. Um, Blind Parrot—that was the one in uh, Pilsen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was our worst play, and uh, that was we did Marat Sad. and it was so—I oh, thought right. it was so terrible—that um, I just started smoking weed <laughs> every night and going on stone. It was terrible. It was unprofessional. I it was in, inappropriate most of the time. I fucking hated it, um, and most of the city hated it as well. <laughs> um, and you know, it was kind of cool because Lawrence Bomber, who was—I think a kind of a lauded critic now, but at the time was uh, like an up-and-coming critic for the Windy City Times. And he really loved our company. He gave Alex a great review. He kind of helped our company, in fact, kind of gain, you know, notoriety and popularity. And um, he gave us great reviews for Alex And then our second play, Methuselah, which, which was, was, a, was a German, German expressionist play, was actually in the Looking Glass Theater's very first space on 13th Street. Yeah, I saw that. That was great. Right, so, so that was the, our second show in their first space. And then we moved to Blind Parrot and did Marat Saad, and I Wanted to Fucking Kill Myself. And Lawrence Bomber said, what's up with these fucking guys? <laughs> I mean, it was a cool review because he was like, these guys are awesome. So why did they fuck up so badly? Like, this is terrible. They were great. Now they suck. What's up? So wow, that's the review. Basically, I mean, <laughs> wow. that was basically the review. And I was like, God damn it, that motherfucker is right. Like, he's right. This sucks. And that's actually weirdly what was one of the things that spurred me as a director, because I had only been an actor in the company at that point. And after that, I was like, this company's going the wrong fucking direction. So after we closed that play, honestly, there was, it was Greg Sporleader and I were like sitting around going, what the fuck are we going to do now? And our answer was, we're taking over this BS. Like, (laughs) like, we're going to do this now. Mm -hmm. And we started thinking about, well, what does the company mean to us? And how are we going to, you know, get us back on track as we saw it anyway? You know, and um, so then we found this play, Accidental Death of an Anarchist which is the first play I'd ever directed. Well, interestingly, I think before we did Anarchist, we started doing these club gigs we We're like, let's do like let's put theater in the clubs. You know, there's still like the it was like 80s and there was all this like house music and we're like, what if we did like freak out shows, which I guess could have been maybe considered in a quasi way like early like spontaneous mob shit, like flash mob stuff right, right. because we would be in the club and the owners would know we were going to do it, we were going to do it and we just like do like a crazy like freak out performance. Like right in the middle of the club. Music would stop, people would watch, we'd do this crazy little piece that we had written. Were they
0: aware it was a show or do they think just Well I don't know what they thought. I don't know what we <laughs> thought. Like we would
1: stop the music and then we and people and like be like, What is happening? And we started doing them all over town and then we um started an improv series which became this play called The Port Show, which I did. Um, and I then I and I would say improv series in the style actually. So okay. it was really like this workshopping the style, but in front of an audience, and then which has its own kind of fun. There's some like I guess enjoyment you get out of that in a you know some semi enjoyment you get out of that, and then. And then we did *Accident Death of an Anarchist* in that Ecumenical Building on Lawrence. Remember that oh, theater? Oh yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, I. That, the, I it th- was on the top floor of that theater on Lawrence and Broadway, above where Pasteur was. You know what, what was I'm it talking during, about? It Wasn't it called the the
0: Hudson Building? Or mm.
1: it was called? God, I thought it was called something else. But yeah, I know the one you're talking about. And so then we were back on. We then then we kind of got ourselves back on track because it was you know it was successful and people liked it and ran for it extended and ran for a long time and put us back. You know, where we, where I thought... put us, Sent us back in the direction where I thought we should be, and then we did Fair and Loathing in Las Vegas after that. I was going to say, were
0: you involved in Fair and Loathing?
1: Yeah, I directed that as well. So that was the one I directed after accidental Death of an Anarchist. That's one where Angie worked on. The, Fair uh, and Loathing? Yeah, yeah. That, well, see, it was funny, because that was when we reached... Our height and almost destroyed ourselves because it was a huge play. Huge. So I'm not surprised she was in it, and I don't remember her. We had like a right. full rock band. We had an eight person backstage crew moving sets. It was crazy. It was awesome. It, it was an insanely large production for a um, independ- you know, for a Black Box Theater, and we opened the um, Chopin Theater, All right? Because that crazy Polish dude Ziggy. <laughs> was like a theater lover and he had come to town and he was like I want to make theater and we were like well we'll make a deal with you you give us free rent but we'll build you a theater cuz all he had was a he all he had was that the Chopin theater space and it was it was empty. Just empty. It was just empty space. So we had to install a grid, we had to build risers, we had
0: to we had to build a theater. Oh yeah, it had that smell. I was there I think opening night. And it had that smell of like this is a new thing, you know. Yeah, it was it was like, like brand new theater. Yeah, like and so
1: so um, we made a good deal because we didn't have to pay rent to rehearse awesome. and to perform, but then we had to, you know, we had to put a couple, I don't know, 20000 bucks into building the grid and building everything. So it was part of our budget, but at least allowed us to mount the play, and then we had to basically break even um, every week to keep going, and we
0: managed to. You and know. that was Bill Cusack, right? Was yeah, a, Bill yeah. Was, he was, was yeah, and, and Jeremy was, uh, was Gonzo, yeah. There was this uh, story where... Um, because you're obviously old friends with Jeremy Piven and, mm-hmm. and John Keswick. Were you were they went to go meet with Hunter Thompson? Were you, did you go along for that? Yes,
1: I did. It was uh, John and
0: Jeremy and, and me. And um, it was a pretty fun experience. Did you have, like, an idea of what you were going to do with the play before that? And then yeah. the change? Like,
1: Yeah, no, I mean, we, you know, we, you know, like, I won't get into the kind of... I mean, too much, just because it's boring hearing, like, oh, my fantastic stories of hanging out with Hunter S. Thompson, like, I want to fucking kill myself. In fact... To shoot a gun, at least? uh, Yeah, yes, we shot guns. Did you (laughs) you hear about shooting guns? Well, I'll tell you the shooting gun story, and that's it. Okay. Um, Because it's just, like... I mean, I I have to stipulate this whole podcast is, you know, um, you guys are exercising terrible judgment and imagining this is interesting to <laughs> no,
0: the most the far of, flung no, listener this is the kind of shit like you know like you know somebody's out there right now thinking about breaking into what you do and you might be you know this is this is what you know they live off this stuff you know this is what's great about it yeah i'm sure they fucking live off someone's out there with me like yeah fucking we live you know, off it's this. funny how many times i'm gonna fucking they, kill myself i said like nobody wants to listen to me but you know what? we always get really great positive feedback and people are always like yeah i appreciated it or i live in some weird town and i know i want to hear this story yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it just for aaron basically yeah. i'm gonna go home and listen to it tonight
1: well, it's interesting because Hunter, I would have to say, is a really sweet guy and a really—he's a genius and a really sweet guy. But what he was—he was very much into, I think, and I understood this over the weekend. He's very much into testing your metal in the form of, um, you know, elaborate pranks. Okay. Right, like, you know, like this in this, the shooting, the shotgun story is one of those. Like, we show up, and you're going to have to forgive the bad hunter impression. That's we fair. literally show up, John, Jeremy, and I. Um, you know because he says come up to the cabin he's in woody creek and and he knew we were going to be discussing the play and whether he'd give us the rights to stage it and all that kind of stuff and and we we walk into this cabin this very modest cabin where he lived and he had a little chain across the kitchen uh, across the threshold of the gate into the kitchen which is kind of his headquarters and office and he had an old telex machine you know which is how he delivered his stories to rolling stone and and it was really like old school and kind of cool and uh so we go in and he goes, oh hey gentlemen, sorry, <clears throat> I uh, I, uh, I can't talk right now. Uh, nobody can come to the kitchen. It's a you know uh, it's a it's a uh, guest free area. Uh, so you know don't cross the threshold. It's gated. And we're like, oh, okay, uh, nice to see. You know, hey, we're here. And he's like, yeah 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 yeah. Listen, I'm very busy, very busy. Um, <clears throat> I'm. Uh, this is true. He says. Oh well, you know I'm uh, you know I'm busy doing something. Yeah, can be can't be can be, can't be deserved. But listen, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm testing out a new game for the Japanese. They asked me to do it. It's I have a wonderful golf course outside and uh, and uh, shotguns. And uh, I want uh, the whole idea of the game is to uh, is to take the shotguns and somebody drives the ball and uh, someone tries to shoot the ball out of the air for big money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you would love this game.
1: And we're like. <laughs> We're like, what? He's like, so we'll go, you know, uh, someone's got to test this thing. You know, hell, you know, make us all a lot of money. Go ahead. And then we're like, and sorry for the bad Hunter impression. So we're like, what? <laughs> and I'm very fortunate because my stepfather raised me shooting, right? So I'm like, I can see this is a, he wants us to step up. I grew up shooting. So this is, I was like, so I called his bluff immediately. I was like, okay, fine. Done. are the shotguns. Let's do this. <laughs> You know, like, okay, that's what he's saying. And you know, this is Go within ahead. two minutes of us showing up. And so he, show, he says, well, there's a 20-gauge over there and a 12-gauge. You know, just take a couple of guns. I don't know. Do your thing. Find them. I don't know. There's ammunition. What? You know, why do you bother me? I'm busy. I told you I was busy. You know, fucking get out of here. So I'm like, okay. And I look around this little room that we were standing in, and sure enough, there's a 20-gauge and a 12-gauge shotgun, both pump action. Um, actually, I think the only the 20-gauge was pump action. I think the 12-gauge was a double-barreled. Um, and there's ammunition on the shelves and we take them out to his, and Woody Creek is very rural. So it's, right. it's a place where y- you could shoot and, you know, it's like being in a rural area, you could shoot, you know, and no one's going to hear you for miles. And it seems like a place where it's actually shooting is allowed. It didn't seem like it's not residential or in any way dangerous or se- or seemingly illegal to shoot. So I didn't feel uncomfortable on that level. So I take out, I take the guns out. Give John and Jeremy a quick primer on how to fire, you know, shotguns, you know, like this is how you shoot them. I don't think they... Are you guys just out there by yourselves? Yeah, we're out in the yard, <laughs> you know, you, but there's mountains all around us, right? Okay. So we're out in the yard and there's mountains all around us and we go out there and there's a little skeet trap, which I'll tell you about later, you know, for, for actual skeet <laughs> shooting, there's a right. little mechanical skeet thrower and uh so we shoot for like an hour it was really funny because i'm like well let's try this you know so i load up the shotguns give those guys instructions how to shoot i'm like i know i'm gonna john i don't play golf john does so i'm like john john can drive the ball so i'm okay you drive the ball and i'll take a couple of shots at this shit i've shot skeet what the fuck this is the whole idea so we'll do that okay so then john drives the ball i fucking fire no fucking way I mean, it's so hilarious that we thought it was like the John drives the ball fucking two hundred yards instantly. It's a ball this big. I just fire into the air, home, and I'm like, okay, this is really stupid. Like nobody is gonna fucking like this is not a game. Like okay, so now we understand. Like and now we've called his bluff, right? right? Bluff called, fired shotguns. You know, game. Not a real game. Not a real game. And then we're like, Haha, all right, that that's not okay pause, no hunter. Like, we're thinking hunter's going to come out, ha-ha, boys, whatever, no hunter. So we're like, okay, well, try again. We do it a couple more times, nothing. So now we're bored because we're like, okay, this is fucking crazy. There's a little mechanical skeet. So I'm like, well, let's... I look around, there's a small box of of, of clay. So I'm like, well, let's shoot some clay pigeons. That'll be fun. You know, that's what it's here for. So we shot some clays, you know. I, I figured out how to... This mechanic has a little mechanical arm. All right. I'm going to pull it back, and you put the, you put the pigeon in, and you f- fire it. And we did okay. John and Jeremy are fast learners, man. They picked it up. It wasn't that hard. The, you know, they fly out at a kind of moderate speed, and, you know, we were doing pretty good, right, getting the 70%, 80%. And then we're doing it for like an hour and a half. Like, <laughs> it's getting dark, <laughs> you know? So then after an hour at least of shooting, you know, these shotguns, um, Hunter comes out. And I had just loaded the, the the pigeon and left the spring, you know, it's, it's cocked. And he comes out, he's like, oh, great, listen, how'd it go? And we're like, nothing, no, no. Tell the Japanese, not fucking going to happen. <laughs> not unless you get some, like, high velocity, like, I don't even know. Like, you'd have to have some kind of custom-made golf ball that didn't really, you know, fire at the, you know, didn't, you know, whatever. No, no Tokyo game. And he's like, oh, okay, fine, well, shit, yeah, that solves that problem. And then... And then he's like, well, what's up with this skeet? Well, she she shoots some skeet, and he fucking flips the thing, hits the fucking lever, and it fucking swoon, swings right into his leg. Kabam! Oh. Yeah. Like, just goes whang, and the whole, this fucking arm swings, this mechanical arm swings with some serious force, hits him right in the fucking leg. He goes down. I'm like... I've just killed Hunter Mortified. <laughs> I know, I'm like... <laughs> And now I'm, ter- I don't, don't want to, like, oh, you know, like it was, obvi- like, oh, shit, huh? you know, like I was, we were just about to load another one, you came out, we heard you talking, I didn't expect you to go, and, ah, oh, this is terrible, and he, I mean, it must have hurt. And he's like,
0: oh, you fucking, who the fuck, you <laughs> rat
1: uh, You know, I've been fucking ambushed, you know, and he's like screaming in pain, but being really funny about it at the same time. <laughs> I love it. And then, you know, he finally gets upright, and I'm like, oh, God, that's going to be a nasty bruise, you know, and I f- just feel horrible. Um, but he, you know, recovers and doesn't say anything about it. He's like, "Which one are you, fucking rat bastards?" And I said, "Well, we were just about to. Never mind. Fuck. I'm hungry. What the fuck? Let's go down." And we went, and we went down to dinner, and then the kind of started the weekend off, and there were many more pranks. Um, uh, I guess I'd have to tell you the tag prank. So we had all the, we had fun during the weekend. and we talked about the play,
0: how it would work, picked and he was on board. He was like, Yeah, yeah, I trust you guys. Yeah, I mean we talked about Was a lot of it like your initiation, like all right, these are the right guys for this thing.
1: Yeah, I mean and you know honestly, John Cusack helps. I mean yeah, he's yeah. a smart guy. He's 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 yeah, yeah, but he, he's, he's someone that, that that could obviously vouch for us and vouch for the project. Hunter knew of John. I don't even know how much John knew of Hunter prior to that mm-hmm. weekend, probably somewhat. But then afterwards, I think John and Hunter became very close, and so I think in vouching, I think I think John could kind of. I think that kind of helped. Yeah. I mean, clearly did, um, and so also oh, at the end, yeah. we, we so you know we had a great weekend. Did all that stuff. Talked about the play. So then the the next, the day we were leaving, he says, um, uh, there's a AP photographer coming to visit me. And he had all these, like, luminaries visiting him all the fucking time, you know. And we're like, wow, really? And he's like, yeah, he's an old friend. He's a war photographer. He's an AP photographer. And he's coming up to show me this camera, um, which was a 35, at the time, and this is 90, uh, this is 91 or something. He had a 35 millimeter body with a telescopic lens that could see a couple of miles, I mean, it was an unbelievable camera. He's like, he's got this experimental camera. He uses it in more photography. He's, fi- he's flying up to show it to me. And we're like, wow, that's actually really cool. And he's like, so we should steal it. <laughs> but not really. Like, now we're in on the joke. He's like, you know, well, let's, you know, he's like, let's scare the fuck out of this guy. You know, like, I don't know you. You just came to visit. Your pilgrim's come to visit me. And, you know, he comes here. And then like, you ask to look at the camera and then just drive away. Fuck it, you know. And then he'll just, <laughs> he'll just freak out. He won't even know. And we're like, okay. So we planned this elaborate prank that we ourselves had been subjected to um it was just a great moment because we we finally like broke hunter because we plant with the plan was that the guy shows up and sure enough he had this amazing camera right and john and jeremy john was to got behind the wheel of this car (laughs) and it was it was one of hunter's convertibles and i was going to ask to look at the camera which i did toss it to jeremy who would toss it to john and then john would drive away and it was just great because we were sitting there and he were looking at the camera and then I asked to see it, you know, and everyone's like, okay, this we're going to do this. And it, and just as I get the camera, Hunter's like, going like this, he's nodding no to me. <laughs> he's just like, abort. He's like, he's like, abort, 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 <laughs> you know? And then, of course, we didn't. And I think, and then afterwards, he said, you know, that guy was very serious. I don't think he'd think that was very funny, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't. That was. I just didn't feel vibe for that one. You know, like, and the guy was very serious. Like, this is this AP photographer. Oh, right. this he was serious as a fucking heart attack. This guy, you know, he was like a real dude. Like, we were idiots. You know, we were fucking young idiots. He was like a professional war photographer. So, like, I think it was just great that Hunter was like, okay, uh, 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 I'm gonna the prank. Uh-huh. Anyway, it was just great that to be par- to be a victim of the prank and then be at the end kind of perpetrating them was was really really fun and a great experience. Did he ever come out to the show? Uh, no, he meant to and wanted to, but Hunter didn't like leaving Woody Creek for various reasons. Yeah. I, know, I know
0: that he, the, I, the talk was that he was going to.
1: And I didn't he know. did try and make it a number of times. And Ralph Stedman came. Oh, cool. And Ralph Stedman actually drew the mural, that was on, which was our oh, right. backdrop yeah. for the whole play. And, and Ralph Ralph actually not only came, but actually would give outlandish speeches before the, before the lights went um, down. The lights went out. Audience would be seated. Ralph would go to the front of the stage, unprompted by the way, and give like a crazy speech to ramp up the crowd. I had to have been there on one of those nights, but well, I probably was just like, what's going on here? Well, you only
0: did for like the first like weekend or two weekends, oh, okay. so unless you saw it like in the first two weekends, and I then knew. he went I back to remember. England. But yeah, it, um, I definitely saw it at least once. I thought maybe I saw it twice, um, it, because of Angie, but uh, um, oh, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And it was one of those things where it was you had a break in the middle, you know, and you and. And it didn't feel like you know, like wow, it's already time for the break. You know what I mean? It really felt. Um, well, first of all, I
1: apologize to Angie because it's not her fault. Angie. I don't
0: remember. Pardon me, Angie. Angie, it's not her fault
1: that it's not. It's it's my fault. I don't remember so don't her. Worry about but it. it's 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 she, certainly drugs and other.
0: She was a ballerina too. I just feel like I'm. Let's just so, stipulate also took that I'm three a not days a, to get to the fourth position. I'm just not all a good, good home person. Home. I'm not a good it's a person. Joke for you. Yeah. I'm sorry, I missed that. It took about three her, days to get to the fourth position. Nice. Ballerina joke. Well done. I don't know if you know ballet. Don't know. There's but like I'll... Five I'll, I'll positions I take it day. it was a funny... Anyway, is a funny it's somewhere joke. there's some ballerina laughing <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for getting that. Uh, I used to do that joke on stage and... What, Killed, your, I bet. When you hear one lady in the yeah. back. Oh, yeah. She she took ballet. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, so you, you did... Is it, now, are you, are you directing at this point? Because... I just directed... Um, a remake of About Last Night. No, no. Are you directing at. Oh, theater. The theater thing. Where we at in your story here now? Your, oh. The, oh. We're back in the 90s? You're back in the 90s. Oh, I jumped let's go the, back I let's jump the. In that. I jump the in the hot tub time machine. I was go still apologizing
1: to, to Angie because I feel like a yeah.
0: jerk. Um, Screw <laughs> Angie. She did me wrong. <laughs> um. Well, if she hurt you, then fuck her. Yeah, fuck her. And her fuck. Um, I was like, I married her. Let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's that joke? Uh, uh, so, did, did you direct the Hunter? Yeah, I directed. I co-directed with John. With John, okay. And then, um, and you, at, at some point, you, you made the transition to just directing. You no longer were. No,
1: then I was a screenwriter, and I still directed theater, and then eventually um, started directing movies. Because you're one of the guys. You're one of the guys at the gas and sip, right? I am not one of the guys at the gas and sip. No, you're not. No, I was going to school at the time, so I, I was worry. in Berkeley at the time they shot that. Um, yeah, that was mean- Spoony and Jeremy and two other dudes. Oh, I thought you were. No- oh no, Patrick O'Neill, a good friend who wrote Night and Day by the, Night, Night and Day. Yeah, it was a uh, you know the Tom Cruise movie. Oh right, right. Patrick Night. O'Neill,
0: who's one of the Gas and SIP guys who does the rap. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd, uh, no, all Lloyd. That's, that's Patrick O'Neill. Got dissed in Malibu, not sure what to do. <laughs> Something like that. Right. <laughs> like,
1: that's well done. So Pat wrote Night and Day. He's a screenwriter in town now, and
0: he was one of the guys and SIP guys. Oh cool. Were you in? Didn't say anything. Yeah, Yeah. No. Oh, okay. uh-uh. I thought you were. Alright, I'm sorry, my bad. Um so you uh you is are you moving out to LA now? Are you coming out here for like are you getting any traction now being a director in, in theater? As far as like, LA? How
1: well, like we're so No like, fucking way, no? dude. No, I just felt like we, we, there was,
0: you know, all of us in Chicago
1: at the time, and I'm now speaking for the collective of sure. all, everyone who was working in Chicago theater at that time, I think at a certain age had to make a choice to stay or go. And some people stayed, like David Cromer, you know, who's now like, you know, the, one mm. of the most illustrious theater directors right. in town, in the, in the country, and people who left. Uh, and I think it was just one of those, I mean, at least for me, I remember talking to very, many people, in many bars over many nights thinking do you stay in Chicago and make your career here or do you go to LA and try and make your career there? And I just wanted to try and make my make my career there, so I did. So um, I went to LA. But it's not like LA well you know, LA is, you know, it's you gotta go in and do yeah. your thing and try and how, you know, how
0: old were you when you came out here?
1: Twenty three? Twenty well, four? Um, you're you're I think I you're think?
0: a couple years older than me. I'm probably a lot of years older than no, you. No, I don't think you are. Um, I'm 44. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, but uh, but I'm really immature, so it kind of evens out. Um, but no, I was doing stand up at the time in Chicago, and so mm-hmm. same thing because it was a, it was you're able to make a living doing it, but. it became that thing where do I move? What do I do? I went the other way. I got married. So I got kind of stuck in the Midwest for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got love will do that to you, yeah, John. It'll, do that. It'll, it'll kind of screw you up a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, you chose true love over naked ambition. No, what I chose, what, what, what I thought was the bottom wasn't going to fall out of the comedy business. And, I, and my wife at the time was uh, a scientist for the EPA. She was in charge of Minnesota's water. So it's not like she could bounce around. To she wasn't
1: uh, you said wife at the time so she
0: wasn't a keeper even though she oh no she wasn't a keeper you don't no. stay with the scientists at the EPA no that's know. why I moved to Los Angeles my friend wow um, no I should have stayed with the that's scientists, a winner on paper I just want to say <laughs> <laughs> it kind of was she was she was doing all right for herself um, but the idea of traveling and and, and moving was just not it's just not in the cards but yeah. uh, so same thing like I saw a lot of my theater friends taking off for one of the coasts and you know a lot of times um, both coasts like they'd be bouncing around you know i know you know louis black yeah. yeah. oh that's right he, he was in accepted, he was in accepted yeah. and um he was huge into the theater scene as at the same time he was also starting his stand up career in, in chicago in, no 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 in new york uh-huh, and uh-huh. and so he was oh yeah of yeah i heard i think you told me that forgive me yes yeah, yeah. i was going to uh i remember one time i was going to rent his condo while he was coming to la it just it's just one of those things where you just saw guys getting success theater was still kind of a, a road to you know, television or anything else, and then uh, um, when I heard all like the new crime guys were headed out here, I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" You know, I couldn't wait to see what you guys are going to be up to. Which is, um, I'm assuming, like I know you guys had your hand in say anything. A lot of the guys were involved in that, but um, you really were like high. F- or gross well, point "Gross blank. Point Blank" gross was the first thing that
1: D.V. even sent as your friend mm-hmm. and mine uh, wrote together. Um, uh, that New Crime produced as a film company. That John started and then High Fidelity was the now second Now,
0: did you one. pitch it, or was this a spec that you guys going? Like, it was oh. actually
1: a spec that we optioned, um, and then rewrote, and then sold essentially on spec because we had optioned it, and then wrote it, and then took it to the t- took it to town.
0: Oh, cool. Did you have Dan Aykroyd involved at the time, or was no, it, no, no,
1: no, no? Um, it you know took a, a strange you know how, it was a it was a very like I think many projects um, a difficult or I would say just I, I don't really. I, I, I don't know if it was a... It's not, it, no, there's nothing standard in the way movies get All made. Right. So we sold it to one company, and then that company decided not to make it, so we had to resell it to another company. It was originally bought by United Artists and John Kelly, who had just um, reconstituted United Artists at that time, and then he put it in turnaround, so that we had to kind of scramble, and that's when John took it to... Well, the producers, actually, Susan Arnold and Donna Roth, um, took it to Joe Roth, Donna's husband, and, her, and his partner, Roger Burnbaum, at um, Caravan, Okay. Um, at the time, and Caravan was part of, had a deal at Touchstone Pictures. And so um, wow. we turned it around. And then John Kelly, being a really gracious man, because I won't get into the technicalities of turnaround, but sometimes when a, studio company, when a company buys something, they don't want to make it, they can just say, hey, fuck you, we're putting it in our vault, and you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> right? We're not making it, and nobody else can. Like that's that happens, happens, a, lot, yeah. happens a lot. So John Kelly was very gracious in giving it back to us and we got it reset up with Joe Roth and Roger Burma caravan and we ended up making it through Touchstone Pictures and that's how we Now are you got. learning
0: on the fly here as far as like how the movie business works like oh my gosh everyone's got their hand in it and you, you know the idea of like now you have to become a businessman too not just a, a screenwriter and a, and a producer now you're dealing with like I actually know. found it very much the same and I still yeah. find it very
1: much the same like you're always negotiating something even when we were doing theater like I was having to negotiate with fucking right. Ziggy about you know like bringing in trying to bring in and it's all just, you know, unless managing I, egos. And yeah, I mean, you're just you're trying to make something created. You're li- creative, right? Whatever it is, either it's te- it's a piece of film or it's or it's a theater project or whatever. And you have to negotiate not only with money people. You know, you have to pay your bills. You have to get the resources to make the thing you want to make, and then you have to make it. And so, you know, if your resources are limited, um, then it. You have to figure out with the resources that you have how you 're going to make the thing you want to make, and then there are all kinds of forces that are impacting on that, both good and bad right Some people you know want to use resources a different way than you do than you do so you 're constantly constantly negotiating right to get what you want to make made and i don 't think that 's different from doing an 80, eighty seat black box theater thing and doing a movie you 're just so i didn 't really find it that different. I had to learn a new set of skills and vocabulary just in terms of you know dealing in you know there you just learn a lot because you're in a different arena but the general concept is the
0: same you know and and I don't think that's ever changed so like um did it take a while for gross? Bo- I mean, you, you said how long of a process from when you first sold it to when it actually started? Well, production? we were we were extremely lucky on that. I mean, we are very because that's officially a new crime production, of Res- yeah. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we're blessed. First of all, I was very blessed to be friends and partners with John Cusack. Number one, he's a great actor, and he is the star, he was the star of the movie that we wrote for him, and he was perfect for that role. And so, to be able to bring to Hollywood, that package in itself was attractive. Now, right. at the time, because Gross Point Blank was considered a black comedy and is in that way, it, it wasn't a straight ahead, you know, mainstream movie to people. So, but yet it did, it was intriguing because of the kind of character, um, you know, because John has an essential warmth that is in contrast to playing an assassin, and All I right. think it took a while for people to understand that, like how that was going to work, and uh, once people got on board... Uh, you know, the the people, the producers and the financers, once they understood what that, you know, the irony of that that premise was, they supported us wholeheartedly and we got to make the movie. And that's, so number one, Cusack. And then number two, we were lucky that people understood what we were going for and let us go and do it. And so in the span of how hard and fast it is to make things in Hollywood, it was easier than most. You know it only it did take i think two and a half years wow. from the time we started writing it, but nonetheless that's pretty fast
0: now would were you writing it? With the idea, you always had John in your mind as as this guy who was going to star in it. But when you're writing it, I mean, is this a job for you? Was you 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 no? You no said you we wrote, wrote it. Wrote spec, it but yeah, like, we wrote
1: it on spec, but then we sold it and they gave us some money. I bought a I bought a Nissan Pathfinder. Oh, there you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I fucking I fu- I couldn't believe it. I had only you driven had you know I I'd, I'd had a '69 Bonneville when I was in high school that I bought for 500 bucks, and I had a '79 Chevy Impala, fucking two
0: door, had a '76 Camaro. So you're the cool guy and a '77 Camaro.
1: So you're 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 the guy in the Camaro. I wanted yeah, to be. I was,
0: it was like way late. I,
1: don't, I wanted to fucking be. The, it doesn't matter when you're the guy in the Camaro. You're the fucking guy in the Camaro. I wish I was. The guy, I was the kind of nondescript guy in the Impala. Um, <laughs> okay. So when I bought. Um, uh, you know, like before I bought, bu- like the thing I was driving the day before I sold, Gross Point Blank was a '79 Impala, and I had spray painted, which is now murdered out style, the back po- quarter panels taken off the hubcaps, uh-huh. and my windows didn't close. And I had bolted my tape deck to the dash. And at one point, this dude was like, I'm going to take that fucking tape deck anyway, but couldn't because I had bolted it to the dash. And so he pulled the dash off to discover it was bolted. So then I didn't have a dash. I just had exposed, you know, speedometer. And then the dash, well, I I mean, truth be told, I did try and fashion the ripped up dash back in places. You know, so it wasn't totally exposed. I just kind of fashioned it back on. And then the windows didn't close. So then I was just driving that thing around. I just threw a tarp over it um, at night, just and then if people wanted to steal it,
0: they could have, just no one did oh, wow. um, and then and yeah, in the in the two and a half, uh, two and a half years it took to get it made, are you writing other things? Are you just putting all your eggs in this basket? are you uh, you know, uh, are-
1: yeah, I mean, there was pretty much one egg. <laughs>
0: you know, <laughs> That's,
1: wow. That was kind of the egg. That's awesome. Um, I was gonna apply, you know, for unemployment or leave town if that one didn't work because I didn't really have anything else going at the time. So, um, you know, we were very, very fortunate that it got made and then sold, and then or sold and then made, and then uh, and then and then actually got released. I saw it. <laughs> so, all, like, you know,
0: uh, I went to go see Sling Blade, I think, and then they they said, "Hey, we got a surprise for you." anybody wants to stay we're going to show gross point blank it was like a preview or something interesting like that. In oak brook uh oak brook terrace or you know. huh and uh so i got to i was like oh fuck yeah that's awesome and i remember like they had having a little trouble with the 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 projectors like you would you know how like all of a sudden you half the screen would be like you know on the wrong you know like the the break would be in the middle of the screen so they were obviously trying to run the film for the first time and figure it out or whatever you know back then you had to kind of you know mm-hmm. run it a few times before you could show it and so mm-hmm. uh um yeah i saw it like a total surprise and it was like yeah i loved it oh that's cool what what did you you think of sling blade though uh Blade was great too yeah i I enjoyed sling blade yeah that's a good movie uh so you um (laughs) so you finally get the the, basket the egg in the basket made now are you are you thinking all right i'm a I'm, I'm a bona fide producer. We're going on to the next project. What are you thinking about yourself no, as far as a career? I still don't think of myself that way. I
1: fucking, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, I, I Oh, but I c- just,
0: come on. Right now, you've got a lot of, you've got a pipeline. And you've got doesn't, people.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't matter. You're just constantly trying to stay relevant and... and I mean, it and doesn't, it's still keep. scary
0: at this, at this I'm stage? T- I'm
1: terrified daily. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, it, you, I think it's, I think it's hard, first of all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's times when you want to have a nervous breakdown. I mean, when you're, you choose to, to depend on your creativity to pay your bills, and sometimes you're just not fucking creative. You're like, I, that's it, guys. I, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had, like, 37 and a half good ideas, and it got, you know, it got me to this point. And now can I just, I don't know, someone give me a break and give me some money or, so, you know, like, let me like, make it a little easier but You'll I think, it's, it, it, I think you, it's always hard, no matter what level of success you have, because you want to do more stuff.
0: When you're in the director's seat, do you ever have a moment where you're like, I don't have an opinion on, on what just happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually am pretty comfortable not having an opinion um, sometimes, just because um, I, when I don't know, I just did confess um, that I don't know, because otherwise I'm going to say I know something, and it's going to be stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm terrified of the wrong... I mean, I don't mind being wrong creatively when I have really tried hard and I just whiffed it. But there's nothing worse than being like, yeah, I fucking know. You know what? This is going to be cool, you know, because I really don't know. So I'm going to act like I do because it's my job to know. Uh And then, then as a result, I just look like a fucking asshole and I make some bad choice. So if I don't know, I'll just be like, I don't fucking know. If it's a take, I'll be like, do it again. Or, you know, let's see what else is in what you're doing or... You know, I mean, it just depends. It just mm-hmm. really depends on the situation, whether you're talking about production design or camera or wardrobe or light, whatever you're talking about. It takes me, you know, if you actually don't know, just say you don't know and then you think about it. You're, you're uh-huh. Just like you guys, you know, when you're doing theater or anything else, it's once again you have to figure out, you have to get really specific about what you're making and in order to be that specific you have to just really think hard about everything, every little thing and shit, you just can't think of a good version of every little thing spontaneously at least i can't so i don't mind just saying i don't know and and i usually say how long do i have (laughs) to tell you i do like i'll be like how are we in do i have to tell you in 90 seconds because then i'm like okay fine fuck it i'll think of something in 90 seconds if that's what my if that's what if we're on the clock and sometimes it'll be like no you can tell you tomorrow you know like if this location is right for instance i'm shooting in a location like hey what do you think about this location i'm like ah shit i don't know You know, it's not, it's definitely not right. Maybe it can, maybe it can be right. I just don't, and maybe it's wrong. I just don't know. How long do I have to fucking decide? And sometimes I've been told now, this is the location. Figure it out, dude, or, or, our
0: life. or we'll come back. Uh You know, we, there's other choices. Are you, so, um, I, I apologize. Who directed, uh, Gross Punk? Uh, George Armitage.
1: Okay. And he had directed, um, uh, shit, I always forget. Oh, Miami Blues. All with right. Alec Baldwin. Which I love is that movie. fantastic movie. I love that movie.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. And George and, and George is a good director. No, and I liked him. Are you at this point like watching the director or they cuz I, I know when I saw you um, when, on the set of High Fidelity like you were very close to Stephen Frears you were like next to him and kind of, I don't know if he was mentoring you but you were definitely were you were really paying attention to everything that he was doing too beyond your own job, you know.
1: Yeah, I was I was just always interested in how the process worked and what directing was and what directing for camera. When with, did you with think? Camera, like, oh, I'm gonna something. be able to direct like this is it? This is I, st- d- I still don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, what do you think? Like, was the biggest shock like, oh, like directing is this or directing isn't this? Uh, well, I the thing I'm still I guess learning is you know directing directing movies is pieces. You just need all the pieces. You're putting it together as a narrative. Through the visual pieces that you have, and I know maybe that sounds really really fucking obvious, but when you're doing a piece of theater it's fluid right you're seeing this thing that's occurring it's swirling in front of you right so you can you can create everything you want to create in the environment of theater for people to enjoy and and it can it can be slightly different every night it can it's so it's fluid right and it's evolving and you know it's going to have a certain energy right and when, when, and I was like, oh, I just have to create that in movies. But in movies, you have to literally piece it together in shots. You need, you need to harvest everything you need to create that. It's not, it's not, you know, it's frozen in time. I mean, I know it sounds really crazy, but when you're dealing with live actors on a stage, you can rely on the energy you created. You, like, pull the ripcord, and every night it appears. In a movie, you're having to project into the future constantly. You're like, I'm building a narrative and a story, and the only person who actually knows how it's all going to fit together is me. And, you know, maybe the producers or anyone else who's really paying attention. So you have to make sure that when you're making it piece by piece, shot by shot, that you're going to harvest everything you need in every single shot so that when you get into the editing room, you can put together, you know, the movie that you have in your head. And so there's a lot of future projection and a lot of... Well, there's a lot of future projection... There's a lot of projection in terms of what you think you'll need. And then... And there's a lot of planning that leads up to actually getting it, right, obviously. Um... But you know, it's the classic, like you know, it's it's the cliche, right? You write them, you write the movie three times. You write it when you write it, you write it when you shoot it, and then you write it when you cut it. No, now, make, I'm sorry, you make the movie three times, right? And like, I'm now making the movie in the cutting room after making the movie when I shot
0: it. Have Have you noticed that your writing has changed now that you're directing that? Because because you are compartmentalizing each little thing, you know, like. Yeah, I think anybody who makes who shoots
1: knows that it, it just helps your writing for sure. It does, yeah. Yeah, because you you. Because you don't waste you you waste less of your own time and anybody else is reading the fucking thing you're writing. I mean you're just a, you're just you're just a more
0: efficient writer. Is it hard to direct like like say John or like is it or I'm trying to think of any uh, have you worked with any like large um, large actors on his scale like you know like uh,
1: Let's see if I direct any big
0: actors as big as I know John, Craig Robinson, but uh, no. yeah, I mean <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Craig. Craig's well, uh, friend yeah, of
1: I mean, yeah, I. I think,
0: um, is it like, for instance, like when you go to John, you go, I know you've been doing this, you know, how many movies before this, but I'm going to tell you something that I'm not getting from the scene.
1: Like, well, have you ever had to like, tell an Oscar winner, like, no, you're doing that totally wrong?
0: Well, no, you never, but that's never the question, right? The thing is, you're never,
1: you uh, you know, they I don't know who said it. I think it's attributed to John Huston, which is like all filmmaking is 90% casting. Like, you, John knows what he's fucking doing, right, you know? Right, right. So, like, as long as he understands the context of the scene, which he does because he's a prepared actor, you're really just both agreeing that you're getting it in the can. He wants to know that, too. Take one. Okay, he does something, cut. What do, we, what do we have in that take? And what are we missing in that take? It's more that conversation, right? Because he knows what he's putting into the can. So then once, because there's like, what are we shooting? What's the, sto- what's the story of this moment that he has to act, right? Okay, action. He does it. Do we get it? Answer, no. Okay, do it again. Okay, now we got it. Okay, great. Now we have it. So now what? Do we move on to another camera position? And take more bites at the apple from another camera position, or now because we're in this camera position and we like this camera position, do you want to just fucking go for it? Take three, fucking do your thing, my man. Do you You're like fucking John Cusack, right? Like, <laughs> so,
0: pardon me. I was gonna say, do you like doing a lot of coverage?
1: Well, I do, um, but in, because I like all the pieces, but also, and comedy kind of requires that. But also, uh, and I don't think that's a problem as long as you move fast. I think if you want the pieces and you want a lot of coverage, then move fast. If you want a lot of coverage and you torture fucking everybody getting it, then then you suck. You know what I mean? Like you don't. You know, like if you need all your, either be, either live with a uh, lesser coverage to tell the story and get out in twelve hours, or work faster. So that you can get more coverage and, and be done in twelve hours like i 'm not, I'm not a believer in torturing anybody for fifteen hours because I need my coverage. I know what I need, and so that means I have to accelerate my pace without affecting the actor 's pace you know what i 'm saying you want them to stay you know fresh and alive and energized all day and if you fuck, if you 're sweating them on coverage you know over many hours they're not they, 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 they're going to want to fucking kill you do and you they're right same,
0: do you use the same crew to kind of keep it well, it
1: doesn't happen that way unless yeah. you're one of the lucky ones. You know, there's the filmmakers that um, get to make a film or two a year, and so they're able to keep continuity of crew. I don't make movies uh, enough, unfortunately, to have continuity continuity of crew. You know, you you were talking about how important casting is when you're directing. How much say do you have in uh, final casting choices? Like Superman? a lot of say, a lot of say. I mean, the studio's gonna always weigh in, and they te- pretty much the studio always has final say. But it's interesting that I've learned that when the studio actually hires you, they, they did crazy. It's crazy, but they <laughs> hired you for a reason, you know? And at first, I wasn't, I, I didn't actually know. I, it's not that I didn't know that. I actually thought they'd have, I didn't know. Rather than desiring all this authority, I actually didn't know I had that much authority to begin with. You know, they want you to fucking step up and make the movie they've hired you to make. Like, Have you ever to you fight know? for someone? Well, yeah, you always got to do that. You fight for everything. I mean, you fight... You might be an actor you're fighting over. It might be an extra hour of shooting time. It might be, you know... Who knows? It might be a story point or a joke or whatever. Well, you, that, it can, like, it kind of all evens out, you know? It all kind of levels out. Like, you might be fighting over anything in, when it comes to making the movie, but that's just also part of your job. You know what I mean? Like, you have to defend your vision, and that could mean an actor. That could mean a set. That could mean a scene. You know, so yeah, that that happens for sure, always. What was the first thing you directed?
0: Accepted. Now, that they, did you did they just have blind faith in you? Did you have to direct a short film first?
1: No, that was my first one. They had blind faith, <laughs> they had fucking blind faith in me because I because I hadn't
0: directed anything of note to show them. Um, did you know anything about? Cam- I mean, you knew enough at that point from being on the set.
1: Well, I yeah. learned from Frears, and yeah, I had a real I had a real good sense of what was required to shoot the movie. Yes. Um, and I've gotten better, at you know, and, and comparatively, I'm much better at it now than I was shooting my first film. But, um, you know, it was a teenage comedy. It wasn't right. that hard, really, um, frankly. You just have to make sure it's funny and interesting. Um, I, I wanted to... I, that movie was originally supposed to be R, and then it became PG-13, and so I think the kind just of... you showed it the other night on Comedy Central again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of soft, and it was totally panned, and I, I basically want to f- disown it most of the time. Um, <laughs> But then my wife was sick of me disowning it, so we went on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, no, I fucking don't want to fucking look up Accepted. I'm going to get fucking hammered all over again. Like, why do that to, do that to myself? And was really surprised to see that even though we got fucking hammered in the, in the press, it's like a splat. I don't know. It's in the 30s or 20s, or it's basically the world has, you know, said that this movie blows. But on the viewer... <laughs> On the viewer side, it's like in the '70s. It's shocking. It's a fan favorite, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "It is. It's huge. in wow, fact that's the, awesome. it, currently, I believe, it's higher than Hot Tub Time Machine, which I was really surprised by oh, because wow. Hot Tub kind of scores pretty high in both. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like it's solid, like it's respectable in the Rotten Tomato world. And but on the fan side, for accepted, it's it's respectable. So I was like, "Fucking, I'm gonna stop saying, I'm gonna stop dissing my own movie. I no, mean, it's, I really I, like I
0: it. it. I mean, I know you probably." It probably wasn't what you originally wanted it to be. Like you said, R to PG. But it's like it's all the difference in the
1: world, right? Yeah. There was really... In fact, I argue, um, and I'm right, unfortunately, about this, <laughs> that, that it's not actually a movie. Like, Accepted is about a guy who starts his own college, but what do you do in college? You, ha- you, do, you have sex and do drugs, neither of which is in the movie. So if you were going to start <laughs> your own college, you, wouldn't you have a lot of sex and do a lot of drugs? So then if you're <laughs> not doing... And then, whatever, learn something ultimately. But if you're not going to do that, then what actually... Is the content of the movie, and so to me, a lot of it was a sleight of hand because I actually watched that movie. I'm like, what's happening? Like, are they <laughs> having fun? Like, is this fun? I don't know. It seems kind
0: of fun if you're 12, <laughs> you know. Um, and that's the difference. The uh, um, let's you touched on Hot Tub Time Machine. Can we jump there for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. What's with the bear? What's the? Well, now the, it's a drinking game, right? Have you? Do you it's know? This on Facebook page. I don't,
1: I don't, what? There's a bear Facebook? Ca- what? Yeah, he's got a own Facebook page. It's bear kidding. from Hot Tub Time Machine.
0: Wait, what's the drinking game?
1: Well, the drinking game is something I'm 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 propagating. I mean, to anyone who asks or you guys. So we've
0: watched it a few times.
1: So it, so, yeah. so I, here's my drinking game for Hot Top Time Machine. Um, uh, self styled drinking game. Okay, so this idea, the whole idea of the bear. Um, first came because we had to create Winterfest and it was like what is a fucking Winterfest anyway (laughs) right Winterfest is in the script what's a Winterfest okay number one they don't exist who the fuck is outside at night freezing their ass off walking around in snow drinking beer I guess it could happen in Germany it's just not something I've ever been to like there's even a poison concert at night in the snow like it's (laughs) fucking hilarious (laughs) I love it's fantastic there's nothing better so we're like okay what about guys twirling fire and maybe crazy people in costumes like I don't know we were just trying to fill the background right just to fill the background while our actors are, you know, the characters are moving through space. So this guy, the, we, this, the AD shows me this bear costume. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool, bear costume. That's funny. Put the bear in. Okay. And so then one night, the bear's in the background drinking or doing whatever. And the first AD uh, comes up to me, and he has a genius idea. He goes, what if we put the bear in every scene? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, let's fucking have the bear in the background <laughs> all the time. <laughs> And I said, "Well, no, that's a bad idea because it, there's not there's no continuity to that. If you're with John in one scene in one part of town and the bear's in the background, it would be impossible for that bear to be with Vin, with um, Rob Corddry and Clark Duke say in another part of town at the same fucking time, right? Because uh, I e no cont e g no continuity i e e g whatever E-G. whichever one it is, right? So there therefore, hence there can, they, the bear can't be in two places at the same time, right?" And he goes, okay, so you're, so fuck you, Steve Pink. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. What is wrong with me? Who gives a fucking, who gives a shit? <laughs> I like this first aid. That's genius. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I almost stumbled past genius. Um, but I didn't. So that's correct. Please put the bear in every single fucking scene <laughs> you can think of. And we had this actor, you know, they had just picked this kid at random to be in the bear suit. And so he, he was having a great time because now he was called to set every single day to be the bear. <laughs> and so the drinking game is count the bear. Dude, every time you see that bear in the background, dr- you got to drink. Oh, wow. Now, I won't be responsible for, of All course, right. the what would be your inevitable death because <laughs> he's I bel- he's got to be. I mean, and uh, actually, for those listeners out there who want to email what the actual... Bear, bear, count is. Oh, I'd love to do you, know. Do you know the? I number? do not. I do not know the bear count. I've never. That I've never actually awesome. counted. But he is fantastically in the background of many scenes, and it doesn't make a, a lick of sense because he's in more. Pla- he's, in, he's in. He's in the same. You know, he's in do, one, is, one Are this. there
0: other inside jokes in, in other films of yours? Like, well, the bear is the best one I think to date. That's great. Um, like, mm. you don't do cameos or
1: things like that. No, uh, 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 uh. Did you, uh, you write Hitchcock. Hot Tub Time Machine? Um,
0: I did some writing on it. Yeah, um, we all did actually. Rob Corddry, Clark Duke, Craig Robinson, Cusack, that line at the end where me. he goes to his wife and kid and goes, "What are you two faggots talking about?" was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life because it was such a like a like release of like it was so just so bold and so like <laughs> shocking. I was, it just I, I I remember the first, just gut laughing and I don't laugh like super out loud like at things like that and, and it was just like God it made me fucking laugh.
1: yeah I felt really grateful we had a license to be you know to be completely complete lunatics and so you know we had great writers that came on Josh Heald was the original writer Um, and then we had good rewriters and then when we were on set we just kept it going like I would call Rob Corddry or whoever I needed at any particular day if it was was Clark Duke's scene I called Clark Duke the night before and said dude let's make this funnier right now because tomorrow we got to shoot it and it's only kind of funny so let's make it funnier, and so I did that with all the actors, and we we just would make it funnier. We tried to make it funnier as we went. So and that and everybody threw their hat in the ring to do that, and did they're all they, fucking geniuses. Did
0: the actors improvise?
1: Yeah, constantly. I would say fifty percent of that movie is improvised. Um, I would just say, in terms of like, you know, settling this fucking conversation about improv versus script script once and for all, I would say that all the good improvisers improvise to script. It's not like hey, let's just make it up. That's stupid. That doesn't happen. Like what happens is, you know what the content of the scene is. You know what story point you're telling. You know what the what point,
0: what place? You got to get to point B.
1: Right. And you know where the character is in the story and like what his narrative is and how he's going to get from A to B. And so you're improvising within a context that supports everything you're doing because if you just went and started, you know, doing anything randomly, it would not it would be a waste of time. Like you would, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be wasting the many precious hundreds of thousands of dollars you're spending shooting that day. So while it is true that a lot of the jokes and dialogue and f- crazy funny shit they come up with is actually out of their heads, and they're all really, at least in Hot Tub, brilliant comics, so they, they were able to do it, it was driven out of story. Like I'll give you an example. Um, there's the scene in Hot Tub where they're all playing quarters, and Rob's on the phone calling for hookers. Well, that that was that was the previously a scene written where um, they order strippers in this broken down town, and then strippers show up, but they'd never stripped before. So one of them starts crying and goes to the bathroom <laughs> and like locks herself in the bathroom, and the other strippers trying to get her out. And the guy who brought the, the stripper, the boombox guy, is apologizing. And we were going to do a say anything boombox joke, and it was going to be fucking genius and really funny scene, right? Well, we, we ran behind. I mean, the movie was you know very chaotic and. We're looking at things to cut. You know, we're like, shit. We gotta cut this. Mo- There's no way we can spend a half a day shooting that scene. Unfortunately, like, sorry, can't do it. Um, well, we still need a scene that takes the place of that. That accounts for what they're doing that first shitty night in the hotel before the hot tub. You know, you know, before they see the hot, the doors blow open and the hot tub is miraculously um, and supernaturally, you know, fired up and ready to, you know, ready to roll. Right the hot tub time machines, you know, in full effect. Because before, they look at it as a dead raccoon and shit, right? So then later, so we needed a scene to pass the time before the hot te- hot time, uh, hot tub fired up. So, But we couldn't spend a half a day shooting the stripper scene. So we all got together, and I think it was Cusack's idea to play Quarters. It's something we had done our whole lives. And so it's was like, okay, great. So they're playing Quarters, and, they're having, and the, the content of the scene is, it's a shitty time. They go, they think they're going to come back to... You know, relive the glory days, and they're going to have a lot of fun. And they're trying to get Rob Cordry out of his Corddry out of his funk. And they show up at the hotel, and the place blows. And there's nothing to do, and they're stuck in this shitty hotel room. So that's already a lot of context. So we know the scene is these guys aren't really having fun. So then the counterpoint to that is Rob Cordy wants more than anything to have fun, which is why he's calling for escorts. Right? He's like determined to have fun. Right? Right? And he right. doesn't understand why the other guys aren't with him on it. That's why it's really funny where he's like. You know, escort, 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 or whatever he fucking says. Like, you got these trying to get money out of those guys, and they're like, we're out. And then, you know, Rob gets really angry. He's like, fuck you guys. You know, and all those funny things he says. Like, fuck you. Like, this is supposed to be a good time. Fuck you. And then, lo and behold, magically, the doors blow open, and the hot tub is there, they're ready to roll, and they go in, that, and it starts their journey. So, pretty much everything they said in that scene, they, they made up, and we wow. created jokes, and it was really funny, but... And so in that way, it was improvised. But in another way, it was totally scripted
0: and thought out, you know, et cetera. So that's just an example. Is it, is it hard to get, like, say, an actor that isn't ready for that kind of way of directing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, if they don't have that skill set, then it's hard. Yeah, you, they have to have that ability. Some actors
0: don't work on the fly like that. Yeah. You know? But, I, but I also, I guess... Excuse me. If they find that a new challenge as well as, as an actor. You know, like, say, you know... The, you you obviously keep a very loose set. Depends know? on I think it depends on the movie. Like about oh, really? last night was very
1: tight set. Oh really? Tightly scripted. It's a romantic romantic dramedy. We only had thirty days, so there's no messing around. There was very little improv in that movie. Um, it was very scripted tight. And that's you know, partly because it's a very tight story, but also partly out of necessity. Like there we didn't you know hot tub we had no choice mm-hmm. but to like keep the madness going and then keeping the madness going kept that improvisational energy, a constant with really funny actors. I mean, those guys were all world class pros. This is more of a romantic, you know, drama slash comedy, so, it, you know, with, with, and it's a much smaller movie, so it doesn't afford you the same luxury, and we
0: had to keep it pretty tight. So, um, you are cutting the, sh- the, yeah. the movie right now. Is there, a, is there a date? I don't know, next year sometime. S- next year? So, next are, you guys, are you guys, are you too familiar with the original About Last Night? No. No. Oh, it was a big movie for me. That was uh, because I lived in Chicago and uh, based on the Mammoth play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago. Yeah. And um, uh, Tim Gazaritsky who I I worked with a few times. And he did a great job
1: because when you read the original play, which I had not read since college... Um, it's dark
0: as fuck. Oh, not only that, but there's a real heavy lesbian element, it, yeah, too. Yeah. That, that they kind of cut out of the movie, and well, um, not only cut out of the movie. I don't know. I think Tim, I don't know how
1: Tim, in looking at that play, if I thought, I, if I had the same job, someone gave me that play and said, make a kind of interesting and fast moving, sexy, romantic drama comedy out of this play, I, I would have. I guess maybe I would have been able to do that. But oh, wow. he broke the mold. I think. I mean, yeah. when you see that. And I think the movie is okay. I think our version's much, much better um, in a lot of ways. Chief among the ways is that um, in the original, it's really Demi Moore and Rob Lowe's story, and then the Jim Belushi story with Elizabeth Perkins kind of falls, you know, it's kind of 80-20. It's really almost 90-10. We brought up that couple and made them this kind of raucous, outrageous couple, and um, those those roles are played by Kevin Hart, who plays the Jim Belushi role, and he's out-of-control funny. And then opposite him plays Regina Hall, And they're the kind of outrageous, sexy, like, couple constantly battling um, opposite the kind of more sincere romance and dramatic romance going on between Michael Ely and Joy Bryant, who play the Demi and and Rob Lowe role. So it's really like 50-50 in terms of the the time given to two couples. And so in that way, I think it's much improved because you don't, you know, as good as About Last Night was, you get kind of dragged through, you know, unabated this, like, relationship that deteriorates and it it's a very good movie, but it's it's gets to be a real bummer. Now, and it, so did, bringing did, the comedy side to 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 balance that with the other couple, I think um, yeah, when helps I
0: saw, the helps it a lot. When I saw Kevin Hart was involved, I was like, I bet he's doing the Jim Belushi role. Yeah, and he's know, nuts. And, yeah. He's
1: he's that guy is world it's unbelievable. Yeah he's, how
0: funny and good he is. It's he's an amazing actor and comic. He's you know he um I think he's like I think he made the most money doing stand-up comedy last year, or something like that. He was—he's well, like that big that people don't really realize that he's that huge. He's—he's yeah, he's selling out like Madison he, Square Garden. Yeah, he sold out the L.A. Uh, is it the Coliseum? I don't even no, know. Stable no, Staples Center. Stable I'm going Center, to see. I'm going to see him New Year's Eve. Yeah, I, yeah, sold yeah. Out yeah and, um, it's insane. It's stupid. Um. So, like, uh, did you make a conscious effort not to like watch the movie again, like the original? No, movie, I watched Edward it. Edward it's an, it's
1: an, it's always it's
0: instructive. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, Sheena Houston's song Still in there Pardon me The Sheena Houston You know that <laughs> Was it like the relief That the soundtrack I'm actually I've tried to get a hold Of Sheena's You see this joke Coming up Fifth Avenue right
1: okay. I tried to get a hold Of Sheena's people Because I'm thinking Maybe she comes back in <laughs> You know what I mean Bring some Bring some more of her music <laughs> To this version Of the movie nah.
0: um, The uh, I, um, And it was shot in, But it wasn't shot In Chicago right It was shot out here L.A. yeah Yeah So It's L.A. for L.A. too So no 16 to stop all you say? That was the first time I saw 16 inch softball. In, uh... No 16 inch softball. Yeah, yeah. Which,
1: which out here, a friend of mine was in a league. They called big ball. Do they? Yeah. And I was like, oh. I. We're from Chicago. We yeah. played that our whole lives, even in public school. Never heard it referred to as big, big ball. ball. No, no. Kind of just called it 16
0: inch. Did you? Did you? Not ever sure how I feel about you calling it big ball. Did you ever play <laughs> when they first when they first started the game? Did you ever play with like a real the hard ball like how it, how it starts? Oh, Fuck yeah, dude. Oh I, my god, look at my fingers. They're broken on both sides. Yeah. From, <laughs> From 16-inch well, softball. Well, also because
1: we played it in public school, like in elementary and junior high school. A, a brand new you
0: 16-inch softball. Hard as fuck. It's so fucking, it's hard as cement. And, you know, by the end, it's really soft, and it's like, you know, no big deal. You're but afraid. I never understood why they always start with a hard ball. Yeah, we played in a league, and it was hard. You know, like, um, interesting,
1: uh, also, dumb fact, the dude who played in the league, the 16-inch, they played with gloves. What? So that's what
0: I said. Oh, it's bullshit.
1: I was like, you call it fucking big ball and no you play way. with gloves?
0: No way. You're 0 for two, my no man. No way. Yeah, no, it's stupid. It's stupid. So um, you're in the middle of of cutting are like how far into the process are you? About about halfway through. About halfway through? Is it are you feeling it now like you got the movie, you know what's yeah. going on? Yeah, 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 it's good. It's it's gonna be a really, really good movie. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What, at what point do you um, show it to people or is there a- I'll show you a couple scenes when we're done with this podcast. What? Did
1: you hear that voice? So I can. If the um, editor is still here, I don't know what time it is. But yeah, I mean,
0: we just hit one hour. Ah, good, huh? Ah! Like this is the thing. He's like a clock. I like a clock. I always know when it's the hour. Wow. I just it, it, like almost exactly to the second. Like I'll go. Oh, okay. Where where are we at? And it's almost always an hour. How like, many uh, have you have you done of these? Twenty. Is it twenty? Twenty-one. This is twenty, 20 21. or twenty-one. So yeah. I have
1: a good. There's a good chance my. It won't be the worst of 21. No, not at all. It's, you know what, what I mean? Awesome. I just want to be somewhere I know in the you, like,
0: it, it, uh, you, I, you think this isn't fun. This is great for people. Like, this is, this is, somebody's working out right now at a gym, and they're thinking, you know, What wow, a douche. You know, that's, what what thinking. Thinking that's what they're thinking. That's <laughs> what they're thinking. Because that's what I'd be thinking.
1: I'd be like... I'm trying to fucking listen to this. I want to listen to this podcast and hear interesting, you know, conversations about what it's like to work in the movie business. And this fucking guy, yeah, but you know, is I'll telling take- bad stories about Hunter Thompson. Like that's I'll, not something. I'll, I'll take self
0: deprecating over like you know some jagoff that's like you know, um, you know, just up his own ass about something. You know, those guys. You know, we had one. We had one show where it was just getting kind of like you know, you know, like what was what's the agenda here? And I found out later it was like you know. I won't say who, but we had like a thing. Where <laughs> we had a history and so I I thought we were beyond it but we weren't. And um but uh yeah it's the only time there was ever any tension in the room otherwise it's just always like you like know. it's an ambush like hey you know i gotta tell you something well, they think 91 was... you fucking you rear-ended no me, there, was like, yeah. you there was re- like you were like a re- little bit of that you yeah, rear-ended yeah. me and yeah. then you drove off yeah. and i was like hey remember when you took my wife out in the yeah. uh, took my wife out to the woods <laughs> yeah. and tried to get her high remember that you know <laughs> uh, and it's like yep. yeah. yeah why don't you hit pause now while i go smoke you, a cigarette he goes why don't you uh hit pause while i go for a cigarette <laughs> and you come up with a well that's actually the phrase now people who've listened to all the
1: podcasts are gonna know who you're talking about
0: i guess you're right you guys
1: just you guys are looking at an edit or you're <laughs> no, gonna have to just face the music i don't, music. No, I don't no, give I a shit can, just fucking face it just own don't that give shit a that's don't right care. Fucking, don't care get, at all you know all. what i mean you'll get you'll you'll, the, you'll experience the tension then you get past it
0: um uh, to be fair he probably doesn't even remember he was on the podcast yeah he probably doesn't yeah you're right the <laughs> either guy. that
1: or he was feigning that kind of disinterest and he listens that shit like every day well he was thinking maybe you know he's like i gotta fucking listen to the podcast for my self-worth
0: <laughs> I'm just saying you never know He's I'm going like, to be listening to it <laughs> I
1: know I'm going uh, like, uh, to be like wow I'm, re- I'm, f- I'm, fucking valid- something. I'm worth something I was podcasted I,
0: mean, I, I love it just, I, love I won't the, even listen
1: to it but I'll just go to where it is that. on the We're internet validating you. That's great. Yeah, I'm like wow I can see my name next to a podcast that you can listen to <laughs> fucking cool um,
0: so like yeah so I, let's uh, as we start to wrap it up I wanted to say a few things about High Fidelity That was a, I loved High Fidelity it was a great film and um is it is it it just seems so um of your your group the 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 new crime guys it just seemed like a labor of love mm-hmm. i don't know how long it took you to get made but man oh man it felt it, like a really great um situation yeah. no there was something about the the writer credit on that, right? Because the original guy—you yeah, like, know a lot of inside dope. I know, yeah. Because
1: like, yeah. you, you got me to tell you got you got me to tell you the Hunter t- Hunter story, which meant you knew something about that. Oh I've, no, so I've, that's pretty good.
0: Every now and then, like I've talked to you know who Ralph Brown is. I was working with him yeah. in a in a television show in Europe, and uh, and I mentioned something that happened on the Eyes Wide Shut set, and he was like, "How the fuck do you know about <laughs> this?" I'm like, "You know, it's just one. Of those, I'm one of those guys. People, that's why I started my own podcast. People like telling me stuff, um, but." Uh, you know, there was like a, a problem with like writer credit, right? Did you, you find did you actually well, you're we, you're a writer on that on that. Yeah, right? it's yeah. John
1: and D V and me. We all wrote it together and, and, and I, don't, um, I don't and then Scott Rosenberg, right. who's the the uh, a writer who had written a draft prior to us, but he set his in Boston. And and his like turned on uh, the the little record store like set against like a Tower Records moving in across the street and it became this like you know zero versus you know the big guy versus the you know little guy versus the big guy and it was I didn't think a very good script and neither did the studio for whatever reason they wanted it to be more authentic you know closer to the book which we felt. It, the, you know, the value of the book was the value of the movie, frankly, mm-hmm. and so to remain truer to the book in terms of story and trying to drive story around the events of the book was we thought the approach, so they said they thought so too, so we wrote that, and then John, who had worked with Stephen Frears, um, on The Grifters, sent it to Frears, and Frears said he wanted to do it, and then we got very lucky, and we were able to make the movie the way we wanted, and then there's a, there's a rule in the writers, so then we, you know, we arbitrated for credit, and there's a rule in the arbitration, you know, Bylaws that say anyone who adapted because it was an adaptation, right? Anyone who adapted the material prior to the the present writers um, automatically get credit. Because, for instance, by example, if the movie if the book was called "The Race" and the first actor the first writer extracted the race out of the book and put it in the screenplay, he actually gets credit for that extraction, oh. right? For that, the genius of that, which <laughs> which is fucking stupid, and so. You know, in my opinion, I think that writer should have rightfully uh, withdrawn. I've withdrawn from credit all the time um, to pave the way, clear the way for writers who actually did the work of making the movie. This writer felt like he didn't want to withdraw. And um, I had like a punch-in-the-nose fatwa against him Yeah. Um, uh, for like 10 years. I, honestly, I mean, I don't care about the guy one way or another. But I did feel just, you know, self-righteous enough to say, well, fuck it. I'm going to put $25,000 in, excro- in escrow for legal fees for when I punch him in the fucking nose, I'm going to have to go to anger management classes. I'm going to have to defend myself against a lawsuit, right? And I'm going to need, so I needed to think, at least I had that little, so then I retired it. You know, I got married and had a stepdaughter. I'm like, I need that that money like I can't like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. like I can't really, and then well, why would I punch anyone in the nose anyway, like who are you, like Mr. fucking tough guy punching people in the nose <laughs> in the abstract, like yeah, I'm gonna punch him in the nose, like how about you're an idiot you know you're a, how about you're a douche, so now i'm more uh, professional mature about the whole thing. I think you should have withdrawn from credit, but i I certainly don't intend to punch him in the nose, um, nor does he probably
0: deserve that, nor would I ever. Really, actually, be able to so do it. So, you you mentioned that uh, you've withdrawn from credits. Does that mean that you've ghostwritten a bunch of yeah things out there? Yeah. Oh, cool. So, um, is that something you do on a regular basis still?
1: Yeah. I mean, that pays the bills. You know, you write, you rewrite. Rewriting is has been my career more than I mean, as evidenced by my credits, my man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just my credits would not have um, you know allowed me to survive and um, make a living in Hollywood. So, you know, a lot of what being a writer is in Hollywood actually is rewriting projects, you know, in the effort to getting them made, and so um,
0: I've done a lot of rewriting. I always thought it, it was like the, you know, in the producer game it's like, uh, like you said, like, gets sold here gets bought here, blah, 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 blah what did you say? What? You know, like in the producer game where, like you said earlier, you sold it to this company and then it gets sent over here. And it's just stuff could remain in flux for two and a half years, but the in- entire time you're getting paid, each time it goes somewhere else. You know? Uh, no, you're not,
1: actually. No? no, 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 no. When a, when a, when a project gets tur- what's uh, put in turnaround, you don't get shit. So let's say they pay you to write version A. Then they say, fuck version A, we're not making this movie. And you say, okay, I'm going to go get another studio to make this movie. When that studio buys it, they buy all of the costs against it from, stu- you know, from the first studio, studio you sold it to. You get nothing. If the second studio then buys it, presumably they're gonna then pay you, hopefully, to um, to rewrite. continue writing it, to continue to rewrite your own material
0: toward toward making it. Um, but that's not always the case. Have you have you gotten to the point where you have walked from a project, like, you know what, this is too much. I'm not this is my vision. I do you have like a pet project you're like you you refuse to budge on? Well, no, I haven't been I mean I, I, I think. Um, well, no. The answer
1: is no. no. Okay. It, there are projects that I don't budge on that I simply hasn't haven't sold. I'm like, mm-hmm. here's a project I think it's this, and they're like, well, we think it's that, and I'm like, well, I'm not selling it to you. So as a result, it sits on my shelf. So um, there are things that I don't wish to compromise that I that as a result are worth nothing except for my desire to you know um, maintain the vision of what I think that is if it ever does get sold versus sell it off. And have it be turned into something I don't want it to be. But generally, when you're, when you're, um, or at least in my experience, when I've engaged, um, I try my hardest to work it out. Mm-hmm. I try my hardest to like, you know, come to terms with what the studio wants and with with what I want, and effort toward to making the thing together. And then sometimes it just doesn't work out. You can't get an actor. Studio's not interested in making it. There's a million things that keep a movie from happening, and so. I don't want it to be my. I, I don't like being the guy who takes his ball and goes home, because you could try your hardest and still not get the damn thing made. So I like trying to get it made, and and it's not. It, it, I find I find it very. I don't know. And look, everyone has different experience. My experience is that um, you don't have to things that compromise your vision sometimes are out of your control anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, like the actor, you know, like what actor they go with will sometimes define your movie in the right or wrong way. Sometimes what actor comes into your movie makes your movie better. Sometimes it makes it worse. But that's not at the script level, right? So at the script level, I'm constantly trying to get it to where everyone thinks, oh, great, let's go make this movie. And then that all that negotiation starts over again. Right. So I don't like taking my ball and going home at the script level because sometimes they're like, well, fuck it, you know. I totally disagree with the studio on this point but they've won for now. Right. Because I know as soon as a director comes in or an actor comes in, that conversation's going to be had again and I'm confident that I'm right. And yeah. when a, another creative person who has influence and can influence the studio comes in and says the same thing, then I'm going to get my way. So I don't cool. it just depends on when it's all about timing and you know sorting out when you assert your you know, your vision and in, 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 in effort to getting them, you know, to moving forward. Because there's nothing worse than being like, well, you know, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to take my ball and go home because you don't, you know, you guys don't endorse or respect my vision. I think it's just too, it's premature to be, to having to take that position prior to, like, getting the movie greenlit, or close to
0: greenlit. Right. You know. Um, uh, wrapping up, I know you've done uh, a couple of television shows recently. Now, is that something that you're... Well, directing, tele- I mean, yeah,
1: directing television is totally new for me. I just... Um, Rob Corddry gave, actually gave me my first my first shot. Children's Hospital. Yeah. So I directed four of those now. And he's the one who gave me a shot directing television. Um, and so then as a result, it, my name was just put in the hopper for guys who can direct television. And then as a result, I got... Oh, really? From Children's Hospital came New Girl and everything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that's, you know, it's an amazing show. And so, you know, I, I actually... Um,
0: you know i'm out here because i wrote a, a pilot and i know that they were looking at showrunners i was meeting and it's one of those things where you know it just runs the gamut some guys are moving from film into you know and you know i just was curious about the transition and how people go from because you produced on entourage right but then you didn't direct and well television. you know
1: all producer credits and television are writer credits anyway doug Allen you know. asked me to come in i was a co-executive producer as my title, but basically I was just on staff writing. It's just I had a certain, I had a high-level credit because of, you know, well, obviously my stature (laughs) in the business, um, you know, allowed me to have that, right? Um, It goes without saying. Um, So, But basically all credits, notwithstanding the hierarchy of producing credits in in, uh, television, are just, you're just part of the staff. So I was there to support Doug Allen in the breaking out of that season. That year, um, oh, and also your credits attached to how much you get paid and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I kind of feel like it means nothing except you got to go in there and and be cre- and, you know make shit up and be. Funny is it different get- with
0: comedy than it is with like uh, dramas? Because uh, I mean, do you have to really worry about the vision that's been set up beforehand? Like, I say the New Girl. I'm trying to remember the other show. Yeah, well, you have the. Well,
1: that's what the EPs do, right? I mean, Elizabeth Merriweather and New Girl and Jake Hasden, like, they just told me what to do. It's their show, right? I'm just there to execute an episode of their show. And so, yeah, it's actually really easy work, you know? Like, I can bring. I'm there to bring, like, my ideas to the table, and they arbitrate them immediately. I'm like, what about this? They're like, no. I'm like, what about that? They're like, funny, do it but you don't oh. they they decide they're the they sh- they run the show and then they offer more for you to do so it's actually a really fun and easy gig because they're really nice those people are really great and really smart and and and
0: you just do your you just do your job you know well, Steve, I just want you to know that uh, I, I know I know you don't think you're interesting, but we had a great time. Uh, oh, it's, this it's, was um, a, it's fucking unbearable. a lot of fun. It is. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. Are you kidding me? Talk about I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be like, yeah. don't air that motherfucker. Oh, no, I will no, hunt no, you I down. A, so I much swear fun. to God. Um, no, you guys, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, like, this, I have fun. Which, yeah, I mean, you're just an affable guy. Those guys just made run. it worse. They're like, yeah, lots of fun. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, they're not paid to say that. We're not paid at What's an update at all? Actually, he's my landlord, so you can you have whatever liquors left in the house. That's fine. Um, anyway, Steve, I just want to say thank you so much for all your time. Uh, we're on the we're actually on the Sony lot right now. You're cutting your film, and you took time out to do this for us. We really appreciate it, and we you know wish you so much more success. And we'll be following your career, and we'll get links to everything. And when the movie comes out, we'll, we'll promote it as much as we can. But um, you know, hopefully. Um, Hopefully, it's going to be another one of your successes. Thanks again for everything.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Um, thanks, you guys. I really appreciate Take it. Take care, guys. Thanks, bye.